Hey, this is Diana, the Bard of Hudson. What the heck does that mean? A bard is just a storyteller. So here I am to share stories with you. What was it like growing up in the 60s and 70s? Did I really meet Bob Marley on an airplane? I hope you enjoy listening to my crazy life and that it inspires you to share your stories in some way. One great way to share your thoughts with me is through my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard. There you can see the photos and written materials that enrich my stories with visuals. Please check it out. And wherever you're listening, please rate and review and share the podcast. I'd love to hear what you think. At the end of the day, human connection is all we have. Enjoy. Hello. Welcome back. How are you all? I hope you are well. I hope you are enjoying your summer. And I am indeed. I'm sure I'm in Scotland now while you're listening, but I am still, you guessed it, in Worcestershire. Worcestershire. I am trying to get through my last journal and I'm also trying to load up a bunch of episodes because I do not know what the Wi-Fi situation will be when I get to Scotland. Certainly not when I'm in a camper van. So I'm loading them up all in service of being on a good schedule and not disappointing anyone because that's what I'm all about. I don't want to disappoint anybody. I know it's sometimes a handicap, but also sometimes a wonderful thing. So I'll take both. That's okay. So it was the end of 1999 and we launched into the year 2000 and the world did not come to an end because of Y2K turned out to be I'll be absolutely nothing. Fizzled out. It was totally fine. And we three greens were in our cozy little cottage. And I forgot to tell you about one crazy and terrifying night that happened in the fall of 99 that made us feel like, oh, our cottage is really taking care of us. Because it was in September of 1999 that Hurricane Floyd hit New York and it was dramatic and terrifying and raged on for days. And we miraculously never lost power in our cottage. And we were so grateful. And it turned out that we were hooked up to a special grid because I may have mentioned that the Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory, which was a big scientific study compound, was located up the hill from my mom's house as well. And it was right next door to our cottage. And it turned out that our power supply and Grace's power supply was all hooked up to theirs. And so it never went down. There was a huge generator that kept it going. So we had power and we were not thinking about everybody down the hill in Sneedon's Landing who was in the dark. And we're sitting there in our little cozy cottage with a fire going and thanking the gods that we had shelter. And suddenly there was a knock at the door and we were like, what? What's happening? How could it possibly be in the middle of this storm that somebody's coming out? And we go to the door and there's this specter clad head to toe in yellow rubber. And it turned out to be my mom who had no phone service. And so she had put on all of her rain gear, this huge suit with a raincoat, rain pants, huge boots, hat, and trudged all the way up the hill to make sure that we were okay. 
Oh, it was so cute. And we were like, oh, hell yeah, we're fine. We've got lights. We're good. We've got fire. <laughs> we're all good. So we were snug in our little cottage and mom was like, oh, sure, fine, great, wonderful. Meanwhile, we're all lighting candles down below. But it's a weird phenomenon that in Sneedon's Landing, even though they spend millions on their houses, somehow they are always the first ones. Not that Hurricane Floyd was just your average storm, but Sneedon's is also always the first ones to lose power in all kinds of storms. It's crazy. So something's going wrong there. We were nice and snug. And speaking of snug, we had acquired a new family member. Dakota had, you know, I had so meanly and nastily gotten rid of his dog, Uncas, because he was too much of a stressor in our family. And I, yes, I feel guilty about that. And he reminds me about that every now and again. And yeah, it was a bad, bad thing. Selfish thing of me to do. So I said, let's get you another beastie. And we got this crazy cat. And because Dakota was in Midsummer Night's Dream, playing the role of Snug the Joiner, he called this cat Snug. And he was a funny, crazy cat who was an escape artist. He was always getting out and getting stuck in the basement somehow. And we kept trying to put collars on him with little bells and his name, and he kept losing them everywhere. We finally just resigned ourselves to the idea that, okay, fine, he's just an outdoor cat, and that's it. And he knows where we are, and he'll come back. It'll be fine. So the winter came, and we were constantly involved in rehearsals, and we started to truly put the play together. It was very exciting. I had auditions from the kids who were all present, and I came up with a cast list. And Savannah was playing Puck, and it was so wonderful. She just put all of her mischief and all of her sparkle into this part, and it was just perfect. And then her friend Bree was playing Bottom, and Savannah's glee at turning Bottom into an ass was so good. <laughs> she just loved it so much. That was the one and only scene where they crossed paths was when Puck turns Bottom into a donkey. And they loved that scene. Elizabeth was a regal to Tanya. Noah and Aiden were part of the Mechanicals crew, who are the working men of Athens who put on the crazy play at the end. Noah was Peter Quince, and Aiden was Starveling the Moon. And then Snug, the joiner, was played by Dakota, who ended up being a very adorable lion in the end. As this project came together, it really became a community effort in a bigger way than I had anticipated. When you're doing Midsummer Night's Dream, one of the big challenges is always, what do we do about this donkey head? Where are we gonna find that? Or how are we gonna build it? And Gene Brock turned me on to this puppetry company that had its headquarters in my old middle school. And I went and visited the woman who was the head of it. And she said, yes, in fact, we do have a donkey head with a hole in it for a person's face so that they could play a donkey. And I was like, score, that's amazing. Can I borrow it? And they let us borrow it. And it was this huge, tall thing that really dominated the stage when Brie put it on. And it was very funny. And we had such a good time with that. So we had the cooperation of that company. And we had volunteers on all fronts. We ended up borrowing a stage, a raised platform stage, from the prop 
department at Saturday Night Live because one of Milbury's friends was one of the directors at Saturday Night Live, and he happened to be renting a house in Sneedon's Landing. And so we appealed to him. His name was Jim. And he was like, sure, we can get you that. And that was so fun. And then mom and Pat were helping with the costumes because mom had helped with the costumes 25 years before. But that was not entirely her strong suit. She's not a careful sewer. She likes to build things like armor and stuff. But there wasn't any of that in Midsummer Night's Dream. So she found that was not her best place to volunteer. But she realized that she loved coming to rehearsals and helping the kids learn their lines. So little by little, she started to become my assistant director. So it was a way of getting us back together in cooperative community as well. And Pat was much better with the costumes. And she was starting to put together some really wonderful little hats and stuff for the kids who were in the play at the end of the play. And she was enjoying that so much. And then Jane and Robert, who lived next door to us up at Grace's Cottage, had a charming dog named Jack. He was this ragtag terrier mix little guy with gray fuzzy hair that stuck out in all directions. And they volunteered him to be the moon's dog at the end of the play. And Aiden loved this because Aiden is a animal person. He loves animals. He has two cats that he just dotes on right now, loves them. My mom has always had dogs while he was growing up, so he always loved dogs. So he had such a great time being the moon and having this dog as his scene partner. Normally they tell you, you know, as an actor, you don't want to act with dogs and children. But if you put children and dogs together, I guess that works out just perfectly fine. As a reward for Jack being in the play... Jane and Robert's daughter, May, who was only four, also got to be in the play, and she was one of the tiniest fairies, and that was adorable. Then we needed some kind of image so that we could have a poster to tell people to come to the play, and that's where Dave came in. I appealed to him, and I said, hey, you're the one with this skill. Please, will you make us a poster? You are also a parent, and I'm calling in all the parent volunteers that I possibly can. And he said, of course. Of course I will. He made a beautiful poster with Elizabeth and a crown of flowers, and it was just gorgeous. And we proudly put it up all over town. In the middle of the rehearsal period in February, Savannah turned 11, and she had not only the old friends that she had had, before we left for Charlotte, but now she had a whole gaggle of new friends. And we had a little party up in the cottage, and they had a wonderful time. But I do remember that one unlooked-for surprise of that party was that somebody stepped on the rug at one point, and there was a lump in it, and they picked it up, and there was a dead mouse underneath there with no head. And we were like, oh, thanks a lot, Snug. Thanks for um, dropping us a little present for the party. In March was when we were going to put on the play and just the week before the play for all of you theater folks you know that that's called hell week and that's because you're trying to put together all of the last remaining components of the play costumes and makeup and lighting and all of that stuff and everybody's rehearsing like mad and everybody's rehearsing for every single day this was my first hell week and I had never done this before as a director and it was maddening 
and I was just tearing my hair out. It was really crazy putting all those components together. And so I was relying on my mom and Jean to tell me how this goes. And so we were doing everything as we had done it 25 years before, which included doing full makeup for every tech rehearsal. I'll tell you now that that did not last long. I think maybe we did it for another play. And then after that, I was like, why do we have to do rehearsals in makeup? That's just stupid. We'll do makeup at the last thing and who cares? My mom also loved putting on fake facial hair with spirit gum and fake beard hair. And she did this for the kids so that they would look like men. And I was like, they don't look like men no matter what you do to them, but okay. But that's the way we had done it years ago. So that had to happen too. I knew nothing about lighting. Someone from the church volunteered because there were already lights hanging in the church and they just had to be pointed at the stage and we figured it out later. So finally, we got to performance weekend and we held our breath because we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't have a formal ticketing system at all. It was just people coming in the door and that's how it was going to be. And the show sold out for three nights running, completely packed. It was astounding. We couldn't believe the reception we got from the community. Everybody poured out to see this. And it was so exciting for the kids. They loved it so much. People laughed and they clapped and they had a wonderful time. And we finished that weekend with a big cast party at mom's house with all the families and all the siblings. And it was such a huge and wonderful expression of community that I felt completely blessed and satisfied with the whole outcome. It was an absolute delight. The kids and Jane made me a special gift that I have still to this day, which was this huge serving bowl that Jane had made because she was the potter and all of the kids had signed it in potting ink, you know, slip or whatever. And so it was fired with all of their signatures on it. And I love that I have it still to this day. So it was a huge success. And shortly after that, phone calls just started pouring in. People had seen the show and were absolutely eager for their children to start doing Shakespeare at the tender ages of eight and nine and ten. I was blown away. So it was clear that this thing was not a one and done at all and that there was a demand for it. It was very exciting. So I'll tell you more about that next time. May the Shakespeare Force be with you. All right. Love you guys. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Instagram at Diana the Bard or on Facebook at Diana Green. And check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard for photos and other fun additions. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you're listening. It makes a world of difference and helps others to find the show. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye.